Okay, Amber, what is the silliest sound you know how to make? Dooty dooty. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, everybody, welcome to the House of Bliss podcast, your favorite show you've never heard of, and the internet's best kept secret. Finally, we are getting some cold weather here in Ohio. Now, I'm going to just start off out of the gate with controversy, but I think summer, hot weather, sunshine, completely overrated. I know people get made fun of for saying stuff like this, but I I'm a fall guy. I want the pumpkins. I want the cinnamon, the chill, the hoodies, the leaves, the cider. Like, I know just last week I was talking about how much I love the beach and nature, but after a week of having my clothes stick to me, uh, dealing with spiders and giant crickets, I am done with the outdoors until I can go back out there with a nice scarf and hoodie and hot coffee. Speaking of coffee, I am recording this in the hours of the morning, which is why my voice sounds a little bit like, uh aging, chain-smoking toad, but hopefully today's content will just be so good that uh, you can look past that, or I can always use the power of special effects to try to mask that, but I, I, there's only so much I can do. <clears throat> anyway, I've been a bit of a shut-in this week, just staying inside as much as possible, doing a lot of writing and music making, and I... Just wrapped up a thrilling, amazing session with my band last week, working on our new album. Now, if you haven't heard of my band, Glowing Moses, we sound a bit like this. And you can find us on all your favorite music platforms. And uh, although although it is some time away at this point, we do have a new album on the way. Couldn't be more excited. So check us out. But speaking of fall and music, I am super excited for some stuff that I have coming up in October. So my good friends and I, Matt Spinks, um, are going to be doing back-to-back -back weekends of ministry called Joy Transformation Weekends. So the first weekend in October, October 2nd through 4th, Matt is going to be joining me here in Cleveland, Ohio. The following weekend, October 9th through 11th, I will be at his community in Fort Wayne, Indiana. There will be worship, shenanigans, merriment, and a volcanic explosion of miraculous Holy Ghost sauce. So these uh, Joy Transformation events will be free, and we would absolutely love to see you there in person, in the flesh, not on a Zoom screen. I will put the links in the description of this episode. But secondly, I am headed to Portland, Oregon to lead worship for the Kainos Koinonia 2020 event. And I am so, so excited for this. I love the West Coast. I love gatherings. And there's going to be people from all over the country hanging out together, sharing space together for three days. There will be meals. It is going to be beautiful. This event does have a registration fee, so definitely, once again, check out the links in the description. 
uh, to find out how to sign up, where it's going to be, all of that good stuff. so thankful for the Bible. I believe wholeheartedly that God speaks to us constantly and directly through things like visions and dreams, impressions, and even our desires and feelings. God can speak to us through those. But there is something uniquely wonderful about getting lost in the world of the scriptures and finding Jesus there. During this time where everyone is so tense and polarized, I'm thankful that the Bible is always there to witness to the unchanging truth of the gospel. I am so thankful that though this book speaks to all eras of history, it constantly invites us to lift our gaze above and beyond our own time to be found in something real and unchanging. I love the whole Bible. Even Leviticus has some life-changing stuff if you understand it properly. But I have a special place in my heart for the four gospel accounts. I've been rereading them this month, and I am just struck with how compelling the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus really is. I must have read these stories a hundred times, but every single time I find something new. And that's exactly what happened to me this week. I was having a bit of a tough day, and so I flipped open to the spot where I left off in Matthew, and a familiar passage began speaking to me in a whole new way. I love it when that happens. It's just you're reading along, and all of a sudden, it's like it just jumps off the page and screams, hey, look at me. I've got something important for you. But in particular, there was one paragraph that hit me like a bolt of lightning. And instantly the joy of the Lord flooded my soul and the weight of the day fell off my shoulders. And so what I want to talk to you about today is one of the most liberating truths in the Bible. However, this truth is found in a passage of scripture that is so familiar, it's really easy to just skip over it because we think we get it already. You know, it's one of those refrigerator verses that comes with uh, often with pictures of puppies and lollipops and open fields, but really, I believe that it's a word for our time. So I want to invite you to hear it again with an open heart, and then we're going to take a deep dive to see what treasures we can find just below the surface. And so if you want to follow along, you can flip open, or I guess uh, scroll, click, tap, tap open to Matthew 18. We're going to go verses 3 to 6. It says, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. <laughs> I love Jesus. He never fits in our boxes, does he? 
<clears throat> it's funny how the refrigerator magnets never have the part in this verse about being drowned. But that is nice, gentle Jesus for you. He recommends drowning. But let's back up. Because it's easy when you're reading the Bible in chunks to miss the fact that there is there is a deliberate overarching flow to this whole thing. Remember that the chapter numbers and verses were added later. And they could be helpful in a lot of ways, but if we're not careful, they can actually cause us to miss some really important pacing. So if we look at the events that came right before this verse, it recasts it in a different light. So let's back up all the way back to chapter 17. Just a heads up, we are going to be reading a good amount of scripture here. So buckle up and get ready. It says, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. I love, love, love this passage. But one of the things that jumps out to me right away is that these three disciples were present for one of the most incredible, earth-shatteringly important supernatural events in human history. Jesus openly revealed his glorified form to Peter, James, and John. It's not just that they got to talk to some dead guys, which is amazing in and of itself, but they got to meet the two guys of the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah, the two witnesses of the law and the prophets. And wrap your head around this. The Bible says that no one has seen God and lived. Yeah, people had visions, but it was only Moses who spoke with God physically on the mountain. And even he had to hide himself in the cleft of the rock. Yet these three men saw the glory of God surround Jesus, and they heard his voice directly. Peter was so dumbstruck that he started talking about building shelters. It's like he just blurted it out without thinking. There, 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 there simply could not be a more uh, earth-shattering thing that could ever take place for these guys. But what did Jesus say? He said, tell no one. You do realize that they were constantly getting harassed by the Pharisees because they didn't believe Jesus was God. Those guys were constantly pulling rank and using the law as a basis to try to accuse and entrap Jesus. And yet these disciples just met Mr. Law himself, freaking Moses. And Jesus says, tell no one. Human beings love to talk about this kind of stuff. We love to talk about how we were there. Do any of you have a story where you were there? For me, it was 2016 when the Cleveland Cavaliers won the NBA championships, breaking a 50-year-long sports drought. It was called the Cleveland Curse, and Cleveland was literally the laughingstock of the sports world until that moment where the Cavs, who were losing pitifully, came all the way back and made the winning shot right 
at the final buzzer. I cannot exaggerate how absolutely, ecstatically, ballistically bananas my city went. That single second when the ball swished through the hoop changed the entire demeanor of a city that identified as losers. My group of friends watching this on TV were freaking out, losing their minds, screaming themselves hoarse. So I decided to go out for some air. And I kid you not, there were literally people dancing on top of their cars. There were fireworks everywhere. It was like being on a movie set. And I was there. That was my city. Or how about this? Everyone always freaks out when I tell them that I met Dave Chappelle. I did. I was working at Starbucks when he came in with his lawyer for a drink. So I got to take his order and serve him coffee. So whenever I tell this story, people always say, Wow, Dave Chappelle, no way. Was he nice? What was he like? And you know what? I relish telling this story. And people love reacting because we all have our moments where we were there. Getting back to the transfiguration, I just, I don't have adequate language for how exciting and significant this event was. And yet Jesus said to his disciples, tell no one, no selfies, no Instagram stories, no tweets, not even their other seven closest friends were to know about this. How, how confusing is that? And yet this was a strong pattern in the life of Jesus. He was constantly telling people not to make a scene. He would go out of his way sometimes to provoke crowds to make them leave. And while most people, especially ministers, would have the cameras rolling, Jesus gave exactly zero hoots about hype. But put a pin in that thought because it's going to matter later. But let's skip ahead in the story a little bit to when they come down the mountain. When they came to a crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and into the water. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered him and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Up until this point, the disciples are having a field day following Jesus. They were sent town to town with full authority over demons, sickness. They raised the dead. It must have been the time of their lives. There's actually a story in Luke where they come back to Jesus fired up because of all the things they saw. And Jesus says not to rejoice that demons came out at their word, but that their names are written in the book of life. And there's another story where they ask Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire? Now, they wouldn't ask that unless they were used to seeing stuff that led them to believe they really could call down fire. But here, they just got their butts handed to them by a particularly rascally demon. And so, of course, they came to Jesus privately for a debrief. And it says, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? 
And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now there is a ton that could be said about the prayer and fasting bit, but that's not what I'm looking at today. If we really think about what Jesus said, he isn't telling them that they need to go get more faith. A mustard seed is ridiculously small. It's it's almost, and I don't want to say that he's insulting them, but this certainly has a sarcastic ring to them. He's saying that in and of themselves, they can't even manage to find a mustard-sized seed of faith. And you guys know that I talk about healing on this podcast all the time. And I can say firsthand how easy it is when you start seeing some results to begin evaluating your own faith. It's so prevalent in ministry culture. It becomes a contest. Who sees the most miracles? Who has the most faith? But here, Jesus is utterly squashing that thing and saying, as soon as it becomes about you and what you bring to the faith table, you will always come up short. You don't even have a mustard seed. And so if you think about things in that light, when Jesus says, when Jesus is saying out loud, oh, you faithless generation, he's not mad at that poor dad for not believing enough. He's upset that the disciples in his absence began to turn inward with their faith. They, they asked him, why couldn't we cast it out? What did we do wrong? This is going to lead into one of the most deeply liberating truths, but we have to cover just a little more first. So the disciples have just failed miserably in front of everybody, and then they get a strong rebuking from Jesus. I remember reading this story and thinking, surely they learned their lesson this time. But nope, because just a few verses later, this is what we read. At that time, Jesus's disciples came up to him and said, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I love this. You can't make this stuff up. They are already arguing about who is the greatest. It makes me wonder if the whole uh, Moses and Elijah on the mountain with lightning Jesus story came up. You know, the other disciples are like, I've cast out six principalities. Oh yeah, well, I've seen 12 dead raisings. And Peter, James, and John are like, yeah, but you chumps didn't even meet Moses and Elijah. But finally, that, uh, that brings us back to where we started. After this entire narrative about power, prestige, failure, faith, merit, greatness, and demons, the disciples are asking straight up, how can we be important? How can we be known? How can we be the ones that everyone looks up to? And this is what it says. And he called a child to himself and set it before them. And he said, truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that heaven has vastly different priorities than earth. That those who are rock stars, important figures, sages, and well-respected self-made success stories, they actually have to lay all of that stuff down and become childlike if they want to experience the kingdom of heaven. 
Jesus is saying that they need to leave behind every measurement of success that they've ever used because heaven's idea of success looks more like a happy child than a respectable CEO. So this is the question that I want to explore today. What does it mean to have childlike faith? Now, keep in mind, Jesus was talking to the future founders of his church. And so that also begs the question, what does it mean to have a church culture that fosters childlike faith? And as I was meditating on this and doing research, I came up with seven universally recognized characteristics of a healthy child. My hope is that as we dive into these characteristics of a healthy child, we will begin to form a picture in our minds of what childlike faith really looks like. What's your favorite Bible story? The one with the thing. Oh, right. That's your favorite version of the Bible. What's your favorite story, though? Jesus is your favorite? Did Jesus die on the cross? And then he came back and died down. Number one, children are teachable. Bill Johnson says that the day that you become an expert in something is the day that you level off. Whereas adults take pride in being the authority on certain subjects, kids are constantly asking questions. All of you parents know they have no shame in asking for help. They know they need it and they will ask until they're blue in the face to get it. To have a childlike faith is to live with a deep sense that we don't have it figured out and we don't need to because we have access to the one who does. Number two, kids are constantly playing and experimenting. Healthy kids know that they have the freedom to mess up, to try things out, to follow their curiosity, to come up with zany plans. My one-year-old son, Link, is a little scientist. He has to touch everything. He has to put everything in his mouth. The concept of failure doesn't even register in his brain. He's just always going for it. He loves figuring out how things like light switches work. He's constantly being delighted by new and exciting discoveries like bugs and movies and music and chips from under the couch. The whole world is like his playground of exotic delights. See, childlike faith isn't weighed down by the shadow of disappointment. Kids are just constantly trying stuff out. And good parents know how to foster that. They know how to create a place of safety where they won't be able to hurt themselves, but also be free to try things, to make messes, to, to, to mess up. And there's no shame involved in that. With overly controlling parents, you can sense in a child they're hesitant to, to make mistakes. They're hesitant to do anything wrong. So I've said this before and I'll say it again. The kingdom of heaven is more like a playground than a battleground. And someone who is truly secure in the arms of the father, who's being fathered well, will feel the freedom to play and experiment. Number three trust independence. A healthy child doesn't have to worry about where their next meal is coming from. They don't 
even think about it. They just know without a doubt that their dad has things covered. They don't know how money works. They just know to point to what they want on the menu and dad works out the rest. Now, obviously, God wants us to be good stewards. But my point is, childlike faith isn't constantly fretting over how things are going to get done. They just know that dad has it. On a side note, this is why I think nostalgia is such big business right now. Like ever since the late 2000s, there's been this huge trend of fun, wacky, novelty, youthful related items. There's all kinds of grown-up toys like retro games and, uh, you know, reviving 80s cartoons and things like that. Because people are yearning to live back in a time where they weren't drowning under the weight of the world. A time when they knew that their parents had the bills and they could just enjoy life. And this is the type of attitude and spirit that having true faith in a supernatural God like ours produces. Again, I'm not talking about a thoughtless, childish mismanagement or shirking of responsibility, but just a happy-go-lucky levity and knowing that Daddy God has everything in his hands. It's like my friend Matt always says, you either believe that what Jesus Christ did on the cross to save humanity is enough, and you can throw your entire self and trust into that reality, or it wasn't, and it's up to us, in which case we have to carry all these heavy burdens. And so that is the work of religion. That is the work of bad fathership, is, is walking around thinking that it has something to do with us. No, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so childlike faith is about trust and dependence in Father God. Number four is healthy children are inclusive. Uh, for those of you who are parents, you know how scary it can be for a little kid to be dropped off in a place like Sunday school or daycare. Um, and all these thoughts go through our minds like, well, what if they have no one to play with? Or what if they get too scared or whatever? But it is so beautiful to see how kids just have a way of befriending each other. They might start off shy, but before they know it, they're laughing and playing like old buddies. Because healthy children just live with an easy sense of inclusion. There's not this tribal us versus them. There's no political parties to defend or pedigrees or classism. Kids just love boogers and cartoons and toys. And if you leave them to themselves, that's enough common ground for them to have a great time together. Now, again, life has challenges. And of course, there's toxic people to avoid. But childlike faith doesn't walk around life loaded down with suspicions and prejudices towards others. It naturally believes in and hopes for the best in people. Number five, children are completely unconcerned with reputation. So this whole thing came because Jesus' disciples asked how to be successful and important. And Jesus could have chosen many things to illustrate his point. But he chose the one thing that they were surely going to overlook. Children. The disciples already had a history of passing over children. And Jesus had a history of coming to their defense. He said, the kingdom belongs to such as these. He said, if you receive a child in my name, you receive me. Why? 
Because if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to be used to being of no reputation to the world. If you're going to be truly wise, you have to know that you'll appear foolish according to the wisdom of the world. Children don't care what people think. They will jump in puddles even if it ruins their outfit. They'll say what they're thinking without wondering who will be upset. And this is because children get their self-esteem from their parents' opinion, not from other people. It's not that kids don't care what anybody thinks. It's that they care and they get their, their view of themselves from their parents. And so a healthy child knows deep, deep in their guts that they're loved by mom and dad. And they are completely free in that. They aren't climbing the success ladder. They aren't posing for Instagram followers. They aren't pandering to votes. And they aren't owned by the crowd. Though the world may constantly overlook them and think of them as a nuisance, all they really need is to know that mom and dad are proud. Do you know <laughs> the pride of Father God over you? Do you know that you make his heart sing, that he has been singing and rejoicing over you? Do you know <laughs> that the declaration over Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration was also the declaration over humanity? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hmm. Number six, children have amazing imaginations. Ephesians says that God is able to do exceedingly above all that we can ask or imagine. So Jesus said multiple times to ask anything in his name and it would be done. But how many of you hear that and immediately feel the need to put qualifiers on those verses because of our own lack of experience? I've been there. But faith that's alive like a child leaps at an invitation like that. Childlike faith is so convinced of the goodness of God. If we're looking to children, healthy children think big, play big, try big, ask for big, because they're not weighed down by a laundry list of failures and disappointments. Childlike faith knows that God is longing to shower us with his goodness and grace. The invitation to childlike faith is an invitation to live in extravagant goodness. This is Philippians 4.6, but in the voice translation. I love the way it puts this. It says, don't be anxious about things, but instead pray. Pray about everything. He longs to hear your requests. So talk to God about your needs and be thankful for what has come. Childlike faith knows that God is not stingy. And therefore, the whole thing is so wide open for us. And lastly, number seven, healthy children have a boldness to express their opinions. We all know this is true. We've all heard kids say stuff that is just hilariously unfiltered. I mean, there's even a TV show about it. Kids say the darndest things. And it's partly because I mentioned healthy kids, they don't have a sense of reputation, but they do understand their worth. They know that their painting is the greatest painting. They know that their random mismatched outfit is an absolutely gorgeous and innovative piece of fashion design. They know that everyone at the dinner table absolutely needs to hear about their day. 
My daughter Ember is three, and she's hilarious. For those of you that are familiar with Danny Silk, my wife and I use choices because we want to instill a sense of power and responsibility in her. So instead of like demanding our way and taking away all her power, we give her a limited range of choices that she can handle. Things like, would you like to go to bed in five minutes with a story or 10 minutes with no story? But now it's so funny because she's getting to the point where she anticipates our choice giving. And so she'll say things like, no, I don't want a nap. I don't want it now. I don't want it in 10 minutes. I don't want it with a story. I don't want it without a story. I don't want to choose. And I don't want mom and dad to choose. She's three years old. Now that is a kid that knows that her opinion matters. Our household is not a speak when spoken to household and neither is the kingdom of God. Although children don't appear much in the Bible, that doesn't mean that they weren't valued. I actually just read a scholarly article diving into children in ancient Jewish culture. We don't often think about this, but they were seen as the highest blessing that God could give. And parents spent all of their lives preparing for the moment when they could happily turn over their inheritance and their family affairs to their children. Children were deeply and intimately involved in all the day-to-day affairs of life as a family. Children are so important to God. And childlike faith just knows that it has something to offer and has no hesitation about expressing opinions and ideas. And so hopefully what I'm saying is painting as beautiful and liberating a picture in your heart as it did in mine. Like when I read that, it was just like a, just a release, an invitation to live like a child When the disciples asked Jesus how to be important, he didn't say hustle. He didn't say grind. He didn't say fight and claw for your way to the top. No, he said you need to be like children, free, unfettered by the cares of the world, free from reputation or fear of failure, happy, light, playful, earnest. These are the markers of success in the kingdom of God. I'll say it again, but success in the kingdom of God looks more like a happy child than a respectable CEO. And for some of you, this is going to come off like a breath of fresh air, like permission to keep being the happy-go-lucky kiddo that you have been. You are on track. But others, however, might be feeling a twinge of sadness or pain, nostalgia, or even guilt like, man, I had that once. When I first met Jesus, I felt like that, but now I feel so heavy and weighed down. Well, the rest of this episode is for you. I want to tell you something. It is not your fault. It is not your fault. What if the loss of childlike faith isn't the result of something that you did or didn't do, but like all children, is the unfortunate result of the environment that you're being raised in. So you have to remember that Jesus was speaking to leaders when he gave the sharp warning about being drowned in the sea. He said that any leader who causes children to stumble are in for it. Those who are in authority who would place heavy burdens, religion, performance, guilt, shame, or anything else that would squelch your childlike faith, well, they might find favor with the crowds. They might look successful but they are on thin ice with God. 
Paul the Apostle famously lamented, you have many teachers, but few fathers. From the very beginning, the church was always meant to be a family filled with fathers and mothers. But if we stop and take an honest, hard look at the state of the American church, we have traded our fathers for CEOs, our pastors for content creators, encounter for entertainment, and family dinners for concerts. Now, these hype systems may look shiny and full of life on the surface, but the real question is, do they produce childlike faith? Now, obviously, I am not against church. If anyone has listened to this show for any length of time, you know that I have been a church boy my whole life. There are some amazing churches out there, and on the surface, they might even look the same as any other church, but the question that you need to ask yourself is, are you going to a Mick Business marketing event or a family gathering? People sometimes make it all about the size of the church, like, are you going to a mega church or a house church? That's not my point. This is, this is about the spirit behind it. Whether a megachurch or a small church, they may share similar looks and trappings, but one of them is a vampiric leech and the other is a life-giving fountain. And so, especially for you who might have felt a twinge of pain or guilt in your heart, as I talked about childlike faith, I want to end this with a question. But I want to preface with this. I am not at all saying that God sent COVID-19 to judge the world or the church, but I am saying that I've noticed that God seems to be using this to cause people to reevaluate their place in things. COVID-19 is busting apart this performance circus that we've called church, and it is causing people to connect on a deeper, more family-oriented level. And so maybe it's time to ask yourself, do I feel free to express myself? Do I feel free to experiment? Is my imagination healthy? Or am I constantly worried about what other people think? Am I defensive of my tribe? Or do I feel secure? If the answer is yes, then you know that you're in good hands. Because that is what it feels like to be a healthy, happy child. But if you answered no, if your life is full of burnout, defensiveness, performance, projection, empty hype, guilt, or fear of leaving, then it might be time to make a trade. Maybe it's time to trade CEOs for fathers, content creators for pastors, entertainment for encounter, and concerts for family dinners. Because the family of God may not be glamorous noteworthy, rich, famous, or anything else that the world sees as successful. But the family of God is full of joyful, life-giving, hilarious, messy love. And that is success according to Jesus. It's a lot less like a fancy parade and more like a pearl hidden in a field. It's less like a looming mountain and more like a tiny mustard seed. It's less like a keynote speaker at a TED Talk and more like a cup of tea among friends. You see, the family of God may look small and insignificant, but in reality, it's unshakable and it produces courageous sons and daughters. And in this time, 
where everything seems to be shaking, I think we could all use some of that. So just like the disciples in Matthew 18, maybe it's time for the church to finally get a big, fat detox from success culture and become reacquainted with its unglamorous family roots. Maybe it's time to stop centering our entire lives around the show and return to a more presence-filled and family way of life. 2020 has been so full of devastation for so many people, but if it's shattering the plastic veneer of the Mick business church that's causing the children to stumble, then to me that is worth celebrating. So once again, I'm not here to debate the format or the size of churches. I thank God for a diverse and wide expression of the family of God, but I do want to ask you this. Is what you're caught up in is it producing a childlike faith? And if it is, then amazing. Celebrate that. Enjoy that. But if it's not, you may want to reconsider some things. Because childlike faith is your birthright as a son and daughter of God. And so before I go, I want to pray for you. I want to bless you. Holy Spirit. We invite you to reveal yourself to us right now. Even over the airwaves, let your presence just fill the rooms of the people listening. Holy Spirit, I invite you to restore childlike faith in everyone listening. Thank you, Lord, for removing the scales over our eyes that religion has placed on us. I thank you for revealing where, where, where bad teachers posing as, as fathers have placed burdens on us. And I, I, I thank you that you're removing those things right now. God, I pray that if anyone listening is feeling that call to make a change, I pray that you give them courage to get out there and find their family. And may you set them up with divine appointments. May you put them in the right places at the right time. May you give them courage to make friends like a child and, and find those people whom they can share life with. Even if they're isolated and out in the middle of nowhere, God, draw them to people who can love them, who can share life with them, who can share meals with them, who can build each other up in, in the faith together. And I thank you, Lord, for all that you're revealing and exposing and tearing down. And I thank you for this amazing, beautiful, holy temple of living stones that you've already built, the church, the family of God, the house of God. We thank you for this unshakable kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the House of Bliss podcast. If you'd like to support this ministry, it is super easy to do so. All you've got to do is go down and hit the link in the description, visit our Patreon page, and sign up. 
any amount of monthly giving is going to unlock all kinds of extras and behind the scenes rewards. Another quick and easy way you can support us is you can just give us a 5 star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Each and every one of those goes a long way. I'm praying that God seals everything you heard today in your heart and that you stay rooted and grounded in His everlasting love. Thanks again. God bless. What's your favorite color? Purple. Purple? That's amazing. What's your favorite song? Um, Frozen. Frozen? Yeah. yeah. What are you going to do today? Play fairies. Play fairies? That's your favorite? Yeah. Mm -hmm.